Hey, Zeke. Hey, Edwards. You like laser etched glassware, don't you? I do. You like our glens. You like all that other stuff. Well, we use distilleryproducts.com. Did you know that? Because you're typically not on the ads and people ask why. I ask the same question, actually. I've been waiting to just run my own, but for some reason our sponsors think your voice sounds more Hulkalicious. Hulkalicious? You get a wrestler tone sometimes. Well, distilleryproducts.com. If you're a store, a bourbon group, a distillery, use distilleryproducts.com. Reach out to me. I'm happy to get you in touch with Carson, Janie, Vicky, all the good folks over at distilleryproducts.com. It is a family business. You can also go to their website, premiumbarproducts.com, and get the official dad's drinking bourbon, Glen Karen. You have a few of those, don't you? I do. Uh, they, they seem to surface from time to time. Well, if you need more, I got you by going to distilleryproducts.com. Today's show is also sp- sponsored by our friends at Orca Coors. Now the seasons are changing. We're going from summer to fall. Want to remind everybody though, fall does not officially start until the 22nd. So all these people drinking pumpkin spice lattes, it is too soon. But as the seasons change, it is always dad season year round with Orca Coors. By using code dad season, you will get 20% off at Orca Coors. They're doing all sorts of good stuff from their tumblers. They're putting out fall tumblers. They're, they get seasons seasonal but it's about to be camping season so you're changing those coolers and those tumblers all that kind of stuff from beach use and you're starting to think about how am i going to the lake the mountains camping fall stuff so go ahead and check them out at orcacoolers.com use code dad season and you will get 20 percent off last but not least zeke our friends at Action247.com. If you want action, get in on the action at Action247. You can use code DADS100 and they will match up to $400 of your first deposit. That's code DADS100 and that is $400 of free money if you put in $400 to your account. They will match it. Now we've been doing something really cool with Action247. We are picking three games a week. Last week, Zeke picked Georgia. I picked Clemson, so I lost that one. We both picked Alabama, so we both won. Zeke picked Florida Atlantic and I picked Florida and I won that. So we are tied two to one. Zeke, you said you were going to pick three games this week. Did you happen to pick those three games? I'm going to go with Ohio State versus Oregon. Now, what's the line? So the line is Ohio State is giving up 14 and a half to Oregon. I think they cover that. I definitely think they cover that. I'm going to go Ohio State. What about you? I've already picked my parlay for the weekend. I picked Oregon. Interesting. My next one is Iowa State versus Iowa. This one is tough. This is like a 10 versus 11, isn't it? Nine versus 10. The spread is Iowa State giving up four and a half. I am going to go Iowa. As I said earlier, I've already posted my parlay. I picked Iowa State. I've been to Ames once or twice. It's a fun campus. It it really is. And I'll leave it at that. What is the last game that you are picking this week? Because how could we not? USC versus Stanford. USC is giving up 17 and a half. Man, I don't think Stanford is the team that they used to be. I'm going to go ahead and pick USC. My parlay is in. I picked Stanford. This is a swing week. (laughs) I love that this was completely off the cuff, both the picks and obviously what we picked. But yeah, this one's going to be fun. This is a swing week. Whoever 
I mean, we could essentially somebody's going to go two and one or somebody's going to go three and oh, but you always can get in on the action by using action247.com, Tennessee's only sports book by Tennesseans for Tennesseans. Don't forget to use code dads100. What you are about to hear is one of our most favorite shows of all time. I know that we normally don't do this kind of stuff, but I want to say a special thank you to Jane and Denny and Ryan Megan, all the good folks over at Makers Mark for just having a candid and awesome conversation with us. That was a night when you ask what our benefit is. It is nights like that that are really why we do this. It's easy to tell when people truly enjoy their job and their purpose, and it's very easy to tell that both Jane and Denny enjoy their job, their purpose, whiskey, and having a bleeped out one hell of a good time, as I think Denny would probably say. And they enjoy each other. (laughs) Well, we hope you enjoy. Cheers, everyone. And now here is Zeke's wonderful failure at a cold open. So Zeke, before we get started, I want to let you know, I'll make you feel a little bit better. We still have no applications post the Joanne Street interview to be on the Zeke Baker Dating Dad's Drinking Bourbon podcast. So I want to start this episode off saying that we are still accepting submissions. Joanne Street and I will be reviewing these. And I believe that Campari actually wants to sponsor this at a bar someplace in Nashville. I'm game. So everybody, Dad's Drinking Bourbon on Instagram. Dad's Drinking Bourbon on Facebook, Bourbon Dads on Twitter. We don't really use Twitter that much, but reach out to me. Joanne Street and I will review your application. If you want to check out Zeke, it's Easy Baker on Instagram. If you want to see the man that you could potentially be winning a date with, that's Easy Baker. We should have a great time with this. Like we should make it a big event. Maybe we can do a barrel pick around it. Like maybe the winner can do a barrel pick with you. I'm open to any suggestion here. I mean, I feel like we could get Nashville Barrel Company involved here. So we are looking for three lucky ladies to win a date with Zeke Baker. We just need to get to the whiskey. everyone. My name is John Edwards, and with me as always is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drink of Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. Full disclosure, we really screwed the pooch on the cold open. We tried a couple. They did not work. I'm sorry, so I went to my tried and true thing, giving Zeke shit. When all else fails, there's always that angle. I mean, typically it's you giving me shit, so if I have anything, you know I'm going to milk that as long as I possibly can. It's fine. I, I like it when you you know you just jump right in with that, and you know then we have a pour or two, and my brain finally gets to spin a little bit faster, and then that's when it goes downhill for you. <laughs> I will be waiting, and our guests will be waiting. We have two amazing guests. One is returning. I'm going to let them introduce themselves because I could never give them a fair enough introduction. They are rock stars in the bourbon world. Both of them together, I think. They make up my favorite duo in all of whiskey. And I've just been sitting with one of these people I just met tonight in person. But he is one of my favorite people already. These two are like brother and sister. It is just a beautiful thing to watch. 
hello to my friends from Maker's Mark. Say hello. Introduce yourself to the people. Thank Thanks, John. I'm Denny Potter, Master Distiller for Maker's Mark Distillery. I am Jane Bowie. I am our Director of Innovation at Maker's Mark Distillery. And I have a lot of thoughts about this dating Zeke game show and ideas. <laughs> so I can't wait to talk about it. Well, yes. I mean, we might as well get into that before we start talking about the whiskey. So what are your thoughts here? Well, I mean, I know you talked about wild turkey, but this reminds me, I don't know what you look for in companionship as far as their bourbon drinking abilities, but you know, Bardstown bourbon, that whole contest they did last year got me through the pandemic part of the time. Did y'all watch that? Oh yeah. They're doing it again this year. Yeah. It was so much fun. You could have some sort of version of that. That would be so much fun where it's like women who have whiskey chops. And so there's, it's part dating show, part bourbon competition. Oh, like we could do a whole series because you know how they had the opening night. So we could take more than three. And if Maker's Mark wants to be a part of it, I feel like this is a uniter. A communal. Yeah. Like this can be any people together. (laughs) Yes, you can help host it. Both of you can help host it. I feel like what we could do is like one of the things they would have to do is maybe do a maker's private select and then present it to both of you and you could judge which ones you like the best and then maybe that gets them to the next what, round. Just, what kind of reputation does Zeke have out there? There are a lot of I, assumptions Well, that's here. what I'm like, <laughs> or is it like each I mean, like, bourbon brings their applicants? own, you know, contestant? Like what happens here? Let's talk about what, what what do you do on dates? Like what kind of... Let me get your head spinning first, right? I will just say that Zeke has a very good job. He is a pharmacist. Okay. So you know that he got an advanced degree. Zeke has managed his <laughs> money well. Solid, stable. He's comfortable. He's comfortable. <laughs> it's what every guy likes to hear. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is going up or down. <laughs> He's comfortable. No, I'm just saying for women, women want to know that uh, their man can be stable. He has a good job. It's he has a the first thing you want. He has a house. He is a great dad. <laughs> like one of those big long pillows. <laughs> on the sofa, you know, they call them those full body ones. Oh, it's comfortable. Well, I was building up, Denny, to the fact that, you know, he's got great hair. He's got a lot more hair than me. Anything does. Yes. I'm paying you compliments. Will you shut the hell up? <laughs> he's got beautiful blue eyes. And I am not afraid to say this as a man. He's got <laughs> striking blue eyes, the color of the ocean. He does. This indeed, guy's so actually. uncomfortable. And he's got a great smile. He so. wasn't sitting directly across from me, maybe. <laughs> and he has an above average whiskey collection. Yes. Uh, Is that anything else you want to say about yourself? Hi, I'm Zeke. <laughs> Let's get to the whiskey. <laughs> I like the idea, though, that like it's almost like the Hunger Games. Like each (laughs) each distillery has to put up their champion, and then they all fight to see who can win a date with Zeke. You got to realize, though, I'm almost the opposite. Like if they like better or more expensive whiskey, no, that's not going to end well. Either got to pay for it, or they're drinking mine, or both. Maybe there's a bizarro. Or that's a different show. Well, that sounds. Does palate Matt, Like in all seriousness. Are are you a foodie as well as someone that likes to drink? No, we I mean we disagree on all our picks to begin with. Like, I mean, I enjoy tasting stuff, but it's all just sensory. I mean, there's no right or wrong or yeah. Right. And when we agree on a pick, we know it's special. Like that's the thing for us is what I think is hot, he thinks is sweet, and what he thinks is sweet, I think is hot. Sounds like us. So when we do a line, it's like, all right, we know that's a good one. 
look at this picture. We were at the Alabama concert. Does that not look GQ? Like, it does. I, even those stains on his shirt look GQ. Listen, you're not supposed to mention that part. Was it all you can eat nachos? <laughs> it looked like barbecue nachos. Let's be specific. No, the person in <laughs> the person in front of us spilt their beer on Zeke <laughs> by accident. I mean, it was Alabama. Dixieland Delight came on. People got <laughs> shit got crazy. Yeah. I can picture it perfectly. Actually. Stomping, beer throwing. And I was like, this is an amazing picture of Zeke. Maybe nobody will notice the stains. And it's the first thing everybody brings up. Now that we have got that out of the way, I think, Jane, we will talk about this more because I think we could do something really good here. And I think it would have to be like live. It would have to be like YouTube lives or Instagram lives, just like that Bardstown Bourbon Company contest was. And then at the end, we could do something maybe live like they did where they had to go and like do all that stuff in person. I really want like a Simon Cowell game show where you get to like hit a buzzer. Immediately make somebody feel bad. Pretty much, yeah. But then then you have one that you give the golden ticket to. (laughs) And you're like, that's it. You're going to the finals. I'm giving you your golden ticket. Instead of being maybe, people just get the buzzer. What do you think about that one? (laughs) Oh, well. I mean, he's got no say, which is what's fantastic. (laughs) That's the best part. Zeke has no. I can't wait to give out my golden ticket. We don't even need Zeke for the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At the the very end. Well, the best part is if we could get like reality TV cameras to follow him on the date. So like everybody else in the whiskey community has picked his date. And then it's just like Zeke show up at this place at this time. Might fall asleep on the sofa. Look out. This has been great that we have opened up two shows in a row with this. And I know this will come out a little bit later, but <laughs> Zeke, I appreciate you being a good sport about this. We'll, we'll find a happy medium here. We'll, we'll make this happen somehow. We still need those applications. But Denny, Jane, thank you so much for being on. Jane, thank you for coming on in person this time. We know we had you virtually where you found out the influencer skills that Zeke Baker had yeah. last time. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't wear the hat today, but you did bring a Maker's Mark notebook, Zeke. So I'm very proud of you for repping the brand again. Oh, I love these little things for notes. I mean, perfect. Do you have a collection of them and then bring them out for the guests that we have? I don't always plan that far ahead, but there's a lot of books in this house by now. Now that we've talked about Zeke for 15 minutes while we have two amazing whiskey people in the room, anybody that wants to know anything about Jane, we had a great podcast with you before. I would encourage people to go back and listen to that. As far as Denny goes, Denny is a very famous person in whiskey and and rum. I would encourage people. I mean, there, there's articles, there's interviews out there. We want to talk about new stuff. We don't want to have people on and just regurgitate things you already know. And Thank you. maybe one day we will sit with Denny and make him do that when Jane is mad at him for something. I do just want to mention, so, so Denny started at Maker's Mark, then he went over to Beam, and then Beam sent him down to the Caribbean for a few years where he made some rum. Then Heaven Hill picked him. Well, then you went back to Kentucky, then Heaven Hill picked you up. You were the master distiller at Heaven Hill. And then Makers called again. And you had only been there for a few years before you went to Makers. So let's start off with the biggest question. What is it about Makers that drew you back in? You know, just the way my career has 
progressed. When I left Makers to go to the Caribbean, I wasn't leaving. Like the, the whole deal was I was going to go down to Cruise and Rum and work there for three years and then come back to Makers. That was, you know, because we were all part of the same company, right? As things change in the business world, they can change very quickly. And we had some similar churn in the three years that I was down there. So when I came back, I was not able to go back to Makers. I went to another operation, which is how I did end up at Heaven Hill. And I was actually there for five and a half years. When Rob Samuels called, because I worked with his dad before, you know, Rob was involved, but I didn't work as much with Rob. So when Rob called, I mean, it was one of those moments where, you know, you'd be an idiot to leave, but I got to. I mean, I've got to think about this. And the draw has always been one, you know, the, the culture, the distillery itself. I mean, it's, you know, when you get to the point, especially like in my career, you really start thinking about a little bit of your legacy, the day to day. You want to be, ha- you know, you you just want to really enjoy, you know, that second half of your career. And if you've ever been to our distillery, I mean, I, I will put it up against any place to work in the world. The day to day at Makers, because of the people, the brand, um, the campus, is as good as anywhere else you'll see. And I say it all the time. I talk to it about with our team members. Our worst day is better than most people's best day. And that's the truth. And it's we've really lived this through the pandemic. It was just that coming back to the brand. And, you know, when I left the first time, you know, I want to say we were maybe around five, six hundred thousand cases. You know, you, you fast forward like eight, nine years later when I came back and, you know, now we're internationally distributed. You know, we're a bigger brand. We're not huge, but we're pretty damn good size. But it was the fact that we continue to do the same things the same way. Like that's one of the things that, you know, I bristle up about a little bit and Jane's like, oh Jesus, don't get <laughs> up on the I didn't bring your soapbox today. But listen, man, I, I love the new things in, in what we can work on next and what we're going to do. And I think, you know, I, you guys are going to love what we're tasting tonight. But on the flip side of that, there's something to be said for a brand in a, a company that's been around for 67 years that grew from, you know, probably 12 employees to the fact that we have 270 employees now. And we're located in the middle of nowhere. We're in a town of 400 people. And we've got 260, 270 employees. We pay damn good. We have incredible health insurance, incredible benefits. And so it's just this whole evolution of being able to grow a brand the right way and bring all these people along with you and really make a difference. And then to do it in a way where we haven't bastardized how we do it. And you know whether that's using the lake water, the mill and distillation, the small batch, you know, we only do 25 barrel batches. The fact we go in the barrel at 110 instead of 125. These are all things that as you grow, you can change. A lot of people don't even do it day one because it's too expensive and too labor intensive. We rotate our barrels and then we hand dip every single bottle. You know, after that conversation with Rob, when you look back and you see that even though they've grown so much in the last eight or nine years, the fact that we're still doing those things, like last year we hand dipped 25 million bottles. <laughs> do you know how easy it would be, honestly, to get rid of that? Well, we would never do it because it's part of who we are. Even though there's no impact on the liquid quality, there's an impact on the brand and how we feel about the brand and how we treat the brand. So when you look back and you say, holy shit, you know, they've had every opportunity to cut corners and do everything else and they haven't done it. Then I'm like, yeah, I want to go back. I mean, because this is an easy 15 years, 20 years. I don't know. I have no career plan. I mean, I could get fired tomorrow. God knows how this podcast is going to go. <laughs> I've always said I'll never get fired because of operations. I will always get, I will definitely get fired over something I say on a podcast or in a tasting, uh, which is fine. 
Okay. So the next question I have, I don't want it to come across the wrong way. So I think we were talking about this with Jane on, on our podcast with her, but you know, you think about the evolution of bourbon drinkers, you know, they might get some Kentucky Tavern, they get some Beam White Label, they might have some Wild Turkey, and then they kind of move up. And mm-hmm. it's like, even at UK, I remember it was like, okay, Makers and Sprite. And then you're doing regular Makers and like Makers was your kind of like go-to. And then when you were feeling saucy, you got Woodford. A lot of people just look at Makers like it's Makers, but you're talking about it now. There's so much that goes into it. Is it frustrating sometimes that that does not get conveyed? Where it gets frustrating, where I got frustrated. Um, your voice is already going is, up the level. Well, it's, you know, listen. We're a craft distiller, and I'll fight anybody that says that we're not. Like all these things that I've talked about, you know, I dare anybody to do all these things from because it's it's expensive and because it's labor intensive, but because we have the people that we have, you know, we're able to do it. So I think it's the, you know this whole discussion where you know if you're, you're you're doing one to twenty barrels a day versus us when we're around six or seven hundred barrels a day, there's nothing lost in that. Like the quality isn't worse. You know, we put a lot of work into maintaining our quality and making sure because at the end of the day, it's got to taste good, right? So it doesn't matter if we do all these things. We we didn't tell the story that much. I mean, people, we probably talked about hand dipping, but you know, all the other things, especially the barrel entry proof, that was not something, we're, we're non-chill filter. We still don't talk about it. We don't chill filter a thing. But in the last, you know, five or 10 years, that's, you know, your, your consumers are much more educated. They're much more interested. When I was at Makers the first time, I, I tell people all the time, it was easy to go out and do tastings and do trainings and things like that, because I could spend 30 to 45 minutes talking about the rules of bourbon. And when you told people that bourbon didn't have to be made in Kentucky, their goddamn heads would explode. <laughs> and then you'd be like, no, I'm serious. It doesn't have to be made in Kentucky. So I think some of it is, you know, we've gotten to that point where, consumers are educated and they are interested. So some of it is we haven't told the story. I don't know that the audience was ready for the story. And I think that's where we are now is people are genuinely interested in those details and process. Like who would have talked about chill filtration 10 years ago? Oh yeah. Nobody talked about chill filtration. Well, and and you said it not to interrupt you, but the barrel proof entry, you know, that alone. And for the people that came out and said, well, you know, makers hasn't done anything new until Jane started working magic. I mean, it was makers wasn't doing anything new, but the stuff that they were doing was different than anybody else. The icing on the cake is that it was still at an affordable price point. Yeah. Think about everything that goes in there. I mean, it costs more to put it in at 110. It costs more to hand dip. You're paying people to do all that stuff, and it's still a $30 bottle. Do you know what I love? I I don't find it frustrating personally. I hear more often than not makers was the bourbon that made me fall in love with bourbon. What an amazing thing, right? Mm-hmm. To make the whiskey that do you said it, it's what we drank. It's what got me into it. And then I graduated up and I think that's okay. So for me to go, Hey, we all show up and make this liquid we're proud of. And it's what m- brings people into our category and keeps, you know, this industry alive and well, like I'm great with it. I don't need, to be the the bourbon that people are, you know, flipping on. Like I, I love those bourbons, but I don't. I'm I love what we do at Maker's Mark. You know, on one hand, there's so much that goes into it, and you want people to know all the work that goes into it. The other hand, it's like 
it's nice to be in the conversation. It's nice to be here. But the people that care about those details, I say this on the podcast all the time. I mean, we are the 1% yep. yeah. of bourbon drinkers out yeah. there. The question is more, do you care that the 1% doesn't know because the 99% is just going to drink it and be happy. And what it, right. it tastes yeah. good. At the end of the day, it's got to taste good. I know it's a, a hot butt. You could hear it in Denny's voice, though, that he wants the people to know. Well, it's I, what it is. And it's not, it's not for me. It's for the people that do it. You know, one of the things that will absolutely go through me, but in a way, it's a compliment is, you know, when people come to our distillery and, you know, they'll say things like, oh, well, they don't do it all here. They, you know, they, they make it somewhere else. You know, they just, this is just a show place. Or they don't believe that we hand up every single bottle because go in that bottling house and face the people, you know, the 65 employees at work in there, a dip one bottle every five seconds and tell them that it's bullshit that they hand up every bottle. That's why I care because there is a lot that goes into that and they work their asses off. Same thing with the warehouse, right? I mean, that we wrote like we just started barrel rotation. We're going to rotate over a hundred thousand barrels. There's no need to do it, but because we want the maturation process to be, you know, pretty much identical for every barrel, you have to do it. So that's a, that's probably a four or five month ordeal at a minimum. And these guys don't like climb into the sixth floor of a warehouse, you know, in August or September, mm. just to move a barrel down to the first floor. They like it. They don't like the environment, but they like it because they understand it. And even when you go to the distillery side, I mean, you know, we run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, you know, our employees are working weekends and holidays and, you know, they just work the entire Labor Day weekend, right? So that's that's why I think it's important. I don't want them to be shortchanged because we only have five employees and do one barrel a day. I want them, you know, to get recognized for the fact that we have 260 employees, but every one of them is just as important and everything that they do is just as important. I mean, I think that's why I get a little bit worked up about it. Not I a think. little. You get a lot worked up. <laughs> but because it is, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty phenomenal. And that's, you know, and it's just part of the brand. And, it, you know, I think that's why I love being there is because, I mean, listen, we do care. Obviously, we care what consumers think. But at the end of the day, too, if our employees are happy and they have pride in what they're doing, we know that we're putting something out there that other people are going to enjoy. My mindset's always been, let's make sure they have what they need to do their job. They're proud of what they do. They get the recognition they deserve and the rest will take care of sure, themselves. They're our toughest innovation critics as well. Oh, yeah, I get, I'm the, the least time. popular person. <laughs> yeah. But to a degree, I mean... I think especially being a weeded mash bill and having someone tell you you still taste the same as, you know, when they first had it and it's exactly how they remember it, that's pretty hard to do in the space right now. It's tough, I mean, not to pick on weeders, but most brands that put one out, you see a lot more variance in just from the grain or whatever else is going on in the processes. But, you know, somebody just saying, man, same damn thing I tasted 12 years ago. Hey. Uh, So one of the best things, (laughs) it's one of the best things we can hear because- you know, that classic Makers is, you know, what we basically did for 55 years until we released Makers 46. And, you know, the Makers 46 and everything that Jane has worked on ever since then has really, I don't want to say kept us relevant. I think we've always been relevant. We've always sold every drop. I mean, for the most part, we're always on allocation. But we also understand that, man, we got to do some things to, you know, because we got to listen to what consumers are talking about, what they're interested in. We can't just keep saying well, it's classic makers. We there, sell every drop. There just right? wasn't a need to innovate because, you know, when we started in the industry, no one was, the Kentuckians were drinking bourbon, but no one else was really, you know, drinking bourbon. So Bill Samuels always says, like, 
It's like the what's his Brussels sprout? He's like, you know, making a better tasting Brussels sprout. If no one wants Brussels sprouts, why are you making a better tasting Brussels sprout? Like, right? <laughs> he always says that. But it's true. So there was no need to do anything different because no one wanted anything different, right? And it was just the whole goal for makers for 50 years was just find customers. Just find people that want to drink bourbon because nobody wanted to drink bourbon. And it was more of like... <laughs> You know, hey, here's your 80 proofers, here's your 90 proofers, and then here's bottled and bond. It wasn't even this market for cast strength like there is now. And now... Booker's was it, really, right? Yeah. Now the 1% eats it up. But the thing I was going to say, and I wanted to go back to the rotation, you know, because you guys, Zeke was touching on it. We are notoriously hard on weeders because they take longer. Everybody rushes to put something out because they need to, because they need to start making money on their product. But it's like, this weeder probably could have used another year in the barrel. You guys have figured out how to put out a good weeder that doesn't take seven, eight years. Is that rotation part of the secret? It's that, but actually, well, it's a great segue. What we're going to taste is a bigger part of the secret. So I would say 50% of my job is answering why do we do it this way so you go ask all of denny's employees so denny's master distiller title but denny's day job is our general manager so he's so passionate about our people and the processes because everything the light touches simba like that's denny right (laughs) so (laughs) it's true so you know you go ask Denny's team and you say, why do you still propagate the jug yeast like this? And they'll go, I don't know. That's how we've always done it. <laughs> you go, why do you still rotate? I don't know. That's how we do it. And that's the best way to do it. Why do you move the pipe? And they're like, oh, we just do. That's what the, you know, that's what my dad did. That's what that, those are the answers you get. It's kind of like, okay, this is great. Heritage is great. Like, but let's not do things the old fashioned way if there's not a reason to. So let's pressure test. So half of what I do is just pressure testing everything we do from an operational standpoint to truly understand the impact because you don't want to stay, you know, doing things if there's better, more efficient, more profitable ways to do things and get the same, if not a better result, you want to do them. But we move that pipe because when you use lake water, the lake turns over from summer to winter. So you go where the water's cleaner and clearer. So that makes sense, right? And we've done a lot of water testing to understand that. Entry proof, you guys are getting ready to taste eight years of us studying the impact on entry proof and what that entry proof, the role it actually plays in the taste and flavor development of a whiskey when you look at your recipe holistically. Now I'm really excited. (laughs) I've already been nipping. But did did you know what it was? Because we didn't necessarily know what it was. It was just four glasses. Well, I had an idea. They weren't the same damn thing poured four times in a row. It was different proofs that were written on the top, but I just assumed that was the proof of the whiskey. I didn't assume it was the entry proof into the barrel. You know what they say about assuming. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know where you want me to go with that one, John. It's not going to end well, though. <laughs> well, like, did you know? I mean, that's. I feel like I read that somewhere. It popped up somewhere not too long ago. Like, yeah, we're getting ready to release these just at home, basically. But this is eight years of work to basically go. We're not going to change anything. <laughs> you know what? 
Those assholes were right 60 years ago. Don't, don't know why. Or how they knew to move the pond or the pipe and the, the pond pipe. water around. Like, we had to study to figure this out and they just knew. Like, Well, I mean, I think it's one of those too that we realized we couldn't just keep saying, well, that's the way we've always done it, right? Like, I mean, that that's a, a killer comment to make in any business. So it's it's really starting to you know challenge some of these things, not because we want to change it. We just want to understand it. And that's the, the crazy thing about distilleries, especially when you're talking maturation. These aren't projects we can put together today and then next week, you know, look at the results and talk about what the analytics so mean. And if all our that. accountants are listening, we <laughs> yes. can't do these projects overnight. Yeah. But, you know, and this is when I was gone, but Jane was a part of setting all this up eight years ago it was just like, we should understand what entry proof truly does to, you know, whiskey, but in particular makers mark. Well, and if you go back to like you mentioned, you know, being on campus and the experience and everything, because that's what I think most enthusiasts strive for now. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be part of, you know, a gift shop tour or something, but hey, this is the only place you can actually try makers at four different entry proofs because we're not going to bottle it and sell it to the masses. But doing that is something unique that other places don't. You're not just walking through, seeing the steels, maybe smelling the white dog and then, you know, kicking some tires or something. Like something that I think's Kind of small, kind of not, but adds to the overall experience for the long haul. Uh, definitely, I just think speaks a lot for the brand. Yeah. Well, and especially in this day and age where you have to justify your P&L all the time. And you have to sit there and go, well, where's the data? And it can't just be because my pappy's pappy. We did this thing in the lake. And he did this thing in the lake. And now I do this thing in the lake. Like that doesn't go when you have a big thing like Beam Suntory watching over you and saying, well, this costs 10 times more than just getting water pumped in from someplace else would. Like we can ship water to you and it's like, yeah, but it's not this water. Right. And then you have to do a test where it's like, all right, well, let's make it with your pumped in water versus lake water. Which one you think tastes more like Maker's Mark? Okay, you guys win. The funny thing I love about business because Every business does this type of stuff. You have to spend more money to justify the money you're already spending. Tell me where that. if you really wanted to save money, just keep doing the thing you were doing. You know, like don't get me started about consultants. No, please don't get me started. <laughs> we'll be here all night. No, it's so funny though. This project, and I'm probably gonna get a little emotional, but this project was started by um, our old quality manager. Her name was Diane Rogers. She was your predecessor when you left the yeah. quality lab, right? I, when I left the lab, I was quality manager, and I was taking over the distillery from Steve Nally. Uh, and Dave Pickerel was our plant manager. And I was moving over to the distillery to take all that, and we hired Diane. Diane was working at Jim Beam um, in, the and then she, in the lab, and she came over to be our quality so manager. So she really, I mean, you did some fun stuff, but she really set up a lot of our quality stuff um, as far as, standards and yeah. certifications and and i don't come from i don't have a science background so i will misspeak you correct me i know it's your favorite oh i know how it goes when i try to correct you um but <laughs> she john to your point this was she wasn't playing offense on this she was playing defense on this and quality really is set up i i think of quality is set up to play defense innovation is really set up to play offense and you work together lockstep and you need both but she was really thinking about exactly what you just said. Where can they come to try to save money and how will we be able to prove, right? Yeah. 
And so this was a big one. And we did some research. I didn't know a ton about the history of entry proof. And when we, we started looking at sharing these, um, because really this project ended two years ago and then we've just kept studying. And then we decided this was too interesting not to share to the 1%. <laughs> but she, when we started looking at the history, entry proof was lower back in the 1800s because you went into the barrel at the proof you wanted to consume it. They weren't really bottling and cutting and doing all the things on the back end. And so when Bill Samuels set up Maker's Mark in 1953 and started distilling in 54, the highest you could go into the barrel was 110. So it wasn't like so many of the things we do, like air drying our wood for a year. That wasn't because we knew anything. That's just what they were doing, <laughs> right? And now there's a cheaper, faster way to dry the wood that people have moved to. And we keep doing it because we understand the compound breakdown of that air drying and seasoning, right? So this was one. It wasn't like he said, this is the magic entry proof. It was just, this is the most you could put in. Of course you're going to. The more you put in, the more you get out. 1962, they changed the law and allow you to go in at up to 125. Well, when your motto is don't screw it up, he's not changing. He's going to keep going in at 110. We had never thought, we'd never thought about it, or right? No, no. And Diane put this experiment together just to kind of understand and go, if anyone ever comes after this, like, I want to understand. And if we can change it, and I can save the company millions, I'm a hero, right? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Um, she's no longer with us. She passed last year um, after a really long battle with cancer, and we miss her every day. But she loved this project, and this was really her baby. And so she set up a 100-barrel experiment, and our uh, whiskey comes off the still at 130 proof. So she took one cistern, one tank, and she cut it to 125. She put 25 barrels, same cistern, down to 120, 25 barrels, down to 115, 25 barrels. And then our standard 110, 25 barrels. She put them in a non-rotating floor. She wanted to equalize every other variable that she could. So she said, I'm not, we're not going to rotate. We're going to put them on a fourth floor in a seven-story warehouse. It's a non, it's the only non-rotating floor, and we're going to leave them. And we're just going to check in in six years and see what's happening, basically. And that's what we did. And I think we knew there would be a difference. I don't think we ever anticipated the difference and what we've learned about wood uh, compound solubility and alcohol to water ratios, what we've learned about flavor development through that process and how things are reacting in the maturation process, what we've learned about the correlation between your entry proof and maturation capabilities. I mean, it's just, you know, this is a lever as we dream up new whiskeys for the future. This is a lever that's really interesting because it's not kind of different when we taste. It's really different. Is that one of those things, though, where you might find out just like air drying the wood and things like that or, you know, everything you're talking about? You kind of went there. Is it like, hey, we know this will save money. We can do this with a different whiskey. We're just not touching makers. Not touching makers. I feel like even if it is a more roundabout way, it, it has to taste a certain way. I mean, think of what Coke Zero is going through right now, changing their label and the profile of their drink right. to make it more like Coke. Man, that confused the shit out of me. Yeah. And now it's a red label instead of the black label. The people are up in arms. And it's like if you mess with something just a little bit, they know. 
Right. And it wouldn't be the 99%, but that 1% is going to be vocal as hell about it. No, it's... No, you're spot on. No, it's... I mean, and it, this it's a huge cost commitment to keep going in at 110. We don't... We'll tell you off the record, just in case any of the bean counters at the company listen to your podcast. <laughs> I don't think, you know, the two people they drink, in their mom... They drink vodka. Just just make Danny say it, and then you're fine. Yeah, you did the math on this, actually. It's about $10 million a year. And so the... And then the bigger, at our volume, yeah. Because you need more barrels and you need more warehouse space. So, so I mean, we could save building one warehouse a year, which are about six or seven million, plus another four million in barrels if we went in at one twenty-five. <laughs> so it's not an insignificant amount, right? And I mean, I think so, you know, and I love it when Jane talks about playing defense when it comes to the quality side of it. But some of it too is, and this is one of the things that I love. It's also squashing that ego. And being prepared to maybe prove something that you really didn't want to be proven, right? Because we're able to do that, because it is all about the quality, most of the time it's it's validating what we've always done. And then there's other, and it's led us to do different things when it comes to innovation because we've stayed true to that. But being able to just say, you know what, I, I'm pretty sure 110 the best, but let's try this and see. And then it's like, well, what if, what if the accountants find out? We're like, well, you know what, if it's better at 125 than, or if it's, you know, significantly, I guess, not different, but just... And I don't think it's a better... Here's what I will say. You know how to make good whiskey. You didn't make these whiskeys, but you know how to make good whiskey. Greg Davis knew how to make good whiskey. Like, they're all good. It's just not Maker's Mark. And that's what's so fascinating is when you have a two and a half million case brand that people, our consumers, are very passionate about Maker's Mark. And so there's just no way... Um, so this is actually, we, the project finished and then innovation kind of took it over. And so these are eight-year-old Maker's Marks. All of these whiskeys are eight years old. They've lived together. Like I said, I think it's Warehouse 34 for eight years. They're all exact same cistern, exact same, you know, our barrel specs. The only variable is that entry proof. And we've left them at cask strength. But before you ask, we've tasted them at, at 90 proof. We've tasted them all you know, cut to different proofs at the same level. We just thought, when in your life are you going to get to taste 126 proof maker's mark? So it's fun. <laughs> the folks I feel the worst for would be, you know, if you're somebody new coming up as a craft and you're trying to figure out, you know, how you're going to set everything up. And then you hear and learn things like this where, yeah, you guys already had an ongoing business. You could do a side project, keep the lights on through the, the mainstreams. But if you're coming off the ground fresh, like, well, what in the hell do we do to start? If I were starting, I'd go in at 95, 100 proof all day, and you could have a really drinkable bourbon in two to three years. That's the thing. Zeke doesn't get this. He still hasn't figured this out. But my friends over at Chattanooga Whiskey doing 100 different variations on their stuff and then picking the 91st barrel. Zeke's big problem with it is, well, how do you pick one? Because you're going to like different ones out of that 100, but not every brand has the patience or the determination or the money to go lay down 100 different barrels. And even, you know, you all, you're doing a scientific test in one specific use case. Like they had to figure out their whole damn brand. It's it's right. a completely different right. application. But well, and I think it's it's exactly what the Samuels had to do from fifty four till like they didn't make. I mean, they didn't turn a profit for how many years? Fourteen years. They were they didn't get out of the red into the black for fourteen years. 
So the, shitload I mean, of money, shitload of money. It is, listen, I mean, listen, I mean, you know, you are insane to get into this industry, especially the whiskey the, side. These right? days, I imagine, you know, the cost of the stills and everything else. I mean, the capital investment just to build a distillery. Now, this is assuming you're, you know, not sourcing, but even sourcing's not cheap. But you build a, you know, you build a distillery. If you're going to build a distillery that probably does 50 barrels a day, you're probably going to be spending at least 20 to 25 million in capital or somewhere around that would be my guess. And then, oh, by the way, you got to hire people. You got to buy grain. You got to buy barrels. You know, you got to make it, put that whiskey in the barrel. Your assets evaporating. Yeah. Yeah. Your inventory is <laughs> evaporating. Like you're losing inventory the longer you let it sit. So I get, listen, I get it. When people pull out a two-year-old and charge $100 for it, I get it because you got to have cash. Yeah. And you have so much invested day one just in capital. And then by day 10, when you've already, when you've been operating, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> How am I going to sustain this? Because it is so cash intensive. I mean, I get it. And we, not, you know, it's not but that's mention, how it was for 14 years for us. Well, we not to it. mention the second you start actually doing something, then you got to go buy a new still because you realize you're not yeah. producing enough with the still. Well, honestly, you got. I mean, it's, it's why, you know, like the Bardstown bourbon model is fantastic, right? Because you bring people in, you let people be there, you know, create their own brand, their own mash bill. It gets paid for up front. You know, you have artistic rights to, you know, however you're going to do that, but they get that cash and they can take it and invest. So not only are they helping other people that want to get in the industry, but oh, by the way, they're building probably a powerful brand in what they're able to do because they have cash coming in day one. Yeah. And that's why they, you know, that's why they've been able to expand and do the things that they do. It's, I mean, it's, they basically have done what MGP went to, right? And they've done it at a different level where they're like, hey, come in. Come in day one. Let's create a whiskey together. Right? I hate the Napa thing. And I know that that Rob Samuels had something to do with saying we need to do a Napa Valley in Bardstown. I just feel like the bourbon community and the Napa community are two completely different things. But his point on needing to bring hospitality to whiskey was a, a very, very valid point. What I love about Bardstown is I always call him the Grand Central Station of bourbon. And like you find this at the bar at Willet now too, where you go in there, you're going to see people in there. You're going to run into somebody at Bardstown. And that's, I think the key is like, they made it a place where you could go do that, but they also made it a place where you wanted to see people and be seen. Yeah, no, I mean, and I've got, you know, a lot of friends, obviously Steve Nally's there, you know, I know David Mandel very well. John Hargrove is a great guy. I mean, they just know people that help build that facility. Just a lot of good people involved in that. And I mean, I think that's the great thing about Bardstown and in the industry in general is we all, we want everybody to be successful. Do it the right way. And you're going to be successful. We'll be successful together. And like, you know, Jane and I live less than a mile apart. Fred and Freddie No live a mile and a half away from us. I mean, everybody's in Bardstown. Like, it's nothing. I mean, it, we don't even think twice about it. But yeah, you run into everybody in Bardstown. I mean, it's a, it's a <laughs> sometimes that's not great. Bardstown has a brewery now. Did you know it? No. It's really yeah, good, it's actually. Really good, yeah. We typically go to the Mexican restaurant when we're there. Which one? Which one? There's like five. We we have very I'm, strong opinions about this. I, I think it's La Herradura. Yes. Oh, yeah. Carlos. Yeah. yeah, it looks like a almost a German restaurant on the inside, the way that they've decorated You can it. see some of our barrel picks there. <laughs> they have the best bourbon <laughs> do, collection yeah. of any of the Mexican Oh, restaurants. no, we tell everybody, because like, hold on, you're saying I should go eat Mexican my first trip to Bargetown? Like, go in, go to the bar, ask for Carlos. In five minutes, you'll already be jaw hanging down going, the hell kind of Mexican <laughs> restaurant? There's only like six. Has all these bars to pull out? Yeah. 
Well, and it's all the groups everybody knows and like the podcast, the groups we all know, go give them a bottle of your pick. It's going to be on the bar. So every time we do a pick, we make sure That's Carlos awesome. gets one. That's awesome. We've been talking about this forever. We're deep into this. I will tell you, I know Jane had a certain way she wanted us to drink these, and I don't think we followed it because we've all been sipping. Okay. I want to mention, though, the first thing I did was I had the 125 and then I had the 110 just because I wanted to know. If we make bourbon today, if yeah. we started Maker's Mark today, this is what it would probably taste like. And I will tell you, there's a heat, that wheat heat that you would sit there and go, man, this needs seven years. It's just kind of mid-palate for me. It gets a little bit hot and prickly. And the 110, it's crazy because it's like, they're both good. Don't get me wrong. But there's more flavors I'm picking up with the 110 that kind of get muted from the heat in the 125. It's not even the flavors getting muted. They're different whiskeys analytically. When you actually run these whiskeys through an HPLC where we're using high pressure liquid chromatography to look at about 11 different barrel extractives that we've deemed we care about from a sensory standpoint. And we're looking at them to parts per million. These whiskeys don't look the same. You always hear water's the universal solvent. It's true. The 110 has more of everything. It's off the charts in all of your wood sugars, your lignans that are going to give you those vanilla characteristics, your furfurals that are going to give you caramel, tannins as well though. And that's the kicker, right? Even at eight years old, this 110 is starting to get a little long in the tooth. So what you're going to find is these don't necessarily stair step like you would expect, but the 110 has more of just all of it. And so your flavor perception is really about the relationship of how these compounds are working together. And the biggest difference to me between the 110 and the other three are the wood sugars. They're just not there in the others. So the 110 has all of those yummy wood goodies with the caramel and the vanilla and the sweetness. The others don't have any of that. And it's really interesting as we taste through, I'll be curious to hear your all's thoughts because they don't behave. There's not this lateral... Uh, taste spectrum when you go through the four they don't necessarily do what you expect them to do but yeah the 125 it's it's a good whiskey my tasting note the first time we i'm like it's bourbon like i it's bourbon i don't have like really yeah succinct tasting it just tastes like bourbon yeah yeah. I've had a few like that that we reviewed lightly, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's good. It's bourbon. It's, I don't... It's I, nondescript. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just, yeah. Hard to pinpoint exactly what you're tasting. Yeah. Like, nothing I have nothing really bad to out. say yeah. about it, but I have nothing that's going to make me jump up and it, down about it's it. It's not yeah. exciting either. Yeah. Yeah. I just think you should take those uh, 11 things the HPLC spits out and just use that for, like, the tasting notes that go on, like, the, the back of the label. And we did. We created a spider graph. We gave the HPLC. We didn't give individual compounds, but we grouped them into um, sugars, lignans, and tannins. And then we actually created a spider chart using the analytics along with our sensory notes to kind of show taste perceptions of each whiskey and how they overlay. Yeah. And these, po it was so much fun. We worked with the local press. They've been making these posters since May by hand and they're not done. <laughs> well, so I'll tell you, Sugarlands does that. They put out with their Roaming Man Rye. 
they put out the whole graph, like when we first got it, the first release of it, I was like, this is so cool. And see, it's like, why do you care about something that you don't know what the hell it is? Like, yeah. Look how amazing this is. Well, what does it mean? I don't know, man, but it looks cool right now, doesn't it? I'm like, you've seen a few of those, haven't you? I'm not the most scientific, but maybe a little more so when he's just like, let's look at the lines. I'm like, well, if they can't tell me what they mean, then. The the thing is, we always lead with sensory, and then the science is kind of there to validate it. But you would never start with the science, ever, 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 ever. Because you could create this, analytically, you could create this in a lab, but it's not going to taste like whiskey. I think we should probably drink this. We've we've yeah. veered off a little bit. How would you like us to drink through this? Jam? I would just go by proof. So I'd start at the 110 and then the 115, 120, 125. I think we've got 116 was final cask, 117.1. So it's interesting. They went in 110 and 115, but they came out almost the same. Um, 122.3 and 125.4. The 120 is so fascinating because it gets like fruity and bright, which how did that happen? <laughs> but it's Three. oak. Sorry. It's fruity and bright with an oak in the back palate towards the finish that I find interesting. I thought the third one was hot. The 120, which is actually, what did you say? So one, this one's 122, 123? 122. But the one past it, yes, it's hot or warm, but the flavors I thought we're much more in tune with the amount of proof you picked up. Whereas that third one, to me, the proof was just three steps in front of everything else that came in behind it. But it's funny because the fruit hits me. I know you don't get fruit on it, but the fruit hits me at the roof of my mouth. It like jumps up and sticks like you're having a jelly. What goes down is all wood. So it's like the fruit (laughs) rises to the top. It's like a a reverse yogurt. It's so interesting. Um, Hold on. Hold on. Let me write that tasting (laughs) note down. It is fruit at the top. We have some interesting tasting notes over here. (laughs) It's tropical fruit to me on the nose, though. Like it's fruity, but I agree with you, Zeke. It is. It's it's drinking hotter than. Oh, the I mean, the finish is. It's extremely oak, oaky on the back. I mean, the finish is just all back of you know the back of my palate. Which the 117, I thought, had a really good finish, but it was much more enjoyable. But it really just grabbed the back of my tongue and held on. The 117? It's like peanut skins. <laughs> she said peanuts. Yeah. I, I, no She's, one hears peanuts but you. You know, John's no, laughing. No, John's no laughing right now. Skins but you. No. And I've said this. He started laughing as soon as you said it. No. No. We heard you. My 12-year-old uh, companion over here is his uh, middle school sense of humor. I think it could have been one of those things that if I isolate the audio and put it out and ask people what they heard, we're going to get one of those 50... like Peanut skins? Like those, those, those pictures where it's like, is this blue or is, you know... Yeah, right. That's a different whiskey that dress? tastes like that. Yeah, yeah, what color is this dress? Uh, it's penis skins. Peanut skin. It's not even close to the same thing. We have had this argument. No less. Because you you keep saying it. No, because you you don't enunciate your T's. Penis (laughs) skin. Because you're a lazy talker. I'm not a lazy talker. (laughs) Are you shitting me right now? A lazy talker. You just make stuff up. No, because you're like penis skins. No, you make stuff up. Peanut skins. That's not how you said it. That is not how you say There's it. There's a T. You can enunciate it all you want right now. Play it back, John. We all heard what she said. I just love that it goes from like four to ten. 
Then he just goes from like four to ten. Like he immediately, oh no, she hold on. He yeah. was waiting. No. He was he was taking jabs from her all night, and oh, then he this found not, this, this is, is nothing. No, but I'm saying he life. found the opportunity to kind of get in around her. She keeps doing it. I'm I, like, I said that was me, like giving you a tee ball. It, was it wasn't not. even a softball. You, you didn't We've think about this, it till after you said. No, it. I said it, and you, I immediately no. looked at you because after you said no, because you, you didn't look at me before you said it. This is like the fish sticks episode of South Park. <laughs> Megan likes the second one the best too. Uh, it was a short part. <laughs> we do have to shout out our our buddy Ryan Megan over there. He has been helping out with this whole thing. Although I should have got him a microphone, but then I, I don't think he would have uh, kept up with these two tonight. No, he should be thankful. Peanut skins. I feel like I'm just getting peanut warm, skins. Though. I mean, this is what we do every single day. There's I mean, just because there's a microphone in front and of us. And then you say I abuse you, and then you still show up at my house five days a week. Because your husband's such a nice guy, <laughs> and we're good friends. For those of you wondering, this was the draw that lured him away from Heaven Hill. <laughs> Actually, we talked about it a lot. We've been friends. So, backstory I trained under him, not to be a distiller, but when I started at Makers, uh, Denny was who taught me how a distillery works because he was the distillery manager at the time. I was, yeah. So we've been friends a long time. And I was supposed to come to St. Croix, and then you decided to move home to visit. Just to, Alex and I were going to come. So your timing was off. You waited till the very end of three years. Uh, you made it a point to, I invited myself the moment Did you I, moved out. Have I not invited? I go back to St. Croix <laughs> twice a year. I invite you and Alex every time, and you always find an excuse not to go. That's not true. What the hell? I just got back. Not you went to go scuba diving for four days. I have a four-year-old. I wasn't going to do that. Yeah, but like you could have gone on the beach. Yeah. I mean, can I just mediate this relationship yes, here please. for a second? Thank you. When you have a friendship like the two of you have, almost a, a kinship, if you will, the best it's part- Stockholm Syndrome, John. <laughs> is you don't have to go on vacation with each other 24-7. So you can have a thing where it's like, all right, you have the kid. We're going to go do some other stuff. Y'all do some other stuff. And then we're just going to meet for dinner. Like, that's the thing is you meet for dinner. Then you put the four-year-old to bed. Then you stay up and you have some drinks on the porch watching the beach. Like, it does not have to be a 24-7 thing. We would have gone. He went with his son to get scuba certified. And my husband's English. So we England just opened up. So we went to visit. We hadn't seen the grandparents i will just say you're boring denny i'm gonna give you my number when she says no i'm oh, in let's do it john i'm in i go back twice a year love it and guess what i will leave my five-year-old with her grandfather to go down to st croix <laughs> or with jane and alex because they're not going that is not true <laughs> and my five-year-old will play with your four-year-old it'll be perfect going back to this stuff <laughs> what's your favorite zeke Two and four, which were the 117 and the 125. And it's totally fine. I mean, that's enjoy them. We're not going to be making them. <laughs> so UK basketball, one and done. Seriously, <laughs> this is it. No, Zeke, I understand the appeal of you know, the ones in there in the middle, but I still get more stuff off the 110. No, I'm not in the middle. I'm the second and the fourth. Because that's, oh. that's what to me was so unique of how it hopped around on what I picked up and and honestly the like the order that I picked them up in because as the proof went up, the third one which to me came off the hottest, I didn't get as much heat off the highest proof one. 
I got better flavors. There's like a cinnamon graham cracker for me in the 110 that I don't get in the other ones. And I think that's why I like the 110 as a fat kid. I just like that, you know, cinnamon graham crackeriness to it that I'm not getting in the other ones. Makers has a ton of baking spices. It's not, people don't think of makers as being spicy, but it's not dry. No, it's not. No, it's a cookie spice. It's a baking, it's your grandma's kitchen spices. Yeah. Thank you for letting us taste through these. That was awesome. And I'm happy to talk about this more, but something I want to pick on Denny for a second, and we don't have to get into a whole philosophical, ideological conversation here, but you have been on the record saying that you don't necessarily love the term master distiller. Mm. I mean, I think it gets thrown around a lot. I think that there's something about people earning it after having years in, in the industry, but I'm interested kind of in the role of master distiller because you're being general manager of Maker's Mark. I mean, I think if you talk to the master distiller, Jack Daniels, half the stuff they're doing is supply chain and it's making sure the factory is running correctly. It's quality control. It's all that other stuff. Is it just an incorrect term? Is it a term that's there for somebody now to be like, well, you've earned it. You're running the whole show. So you're the master distiller, but distilling isn't the majority of your job every day anymore is it no it's not i mean you know as as jane said i mean my role as general manager or plant manager is pretty much the same title i mean i think the thing about the title it's a necessary title right it's a necessary title because the title gives you credibility to go out and talk about what we do and how we do it from a day-to-day operations perspective the title doesn't mean anything I walk in the distillery and say, hey, everybody, Master Distiller's here. What are you son of a bitches up to? <laughs> right? You're going to kick get me the, in the nuts. They're going to beat the shit out of you. Right. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean anything operationally. And I think that that's kind of the issue for me with the title a little bit. It, it's needed. And, and don't get me wrong. It's an, an incredible honor to have the title because you're assuming kind of that legacy. And it's really about protecting the brand and the liquid quality. But you know, do I think the title's been watered down? 1000%, right? There's no certification to get it. There's no, you know, I know people that have the title master distiller and they don't even have a distillery, right? And I think it's, that's fine. I think it's just, it's important for people to understand that title has more roots in marketing than it does operations. Well, it's like, I know some consulting gigs where they have an internal title and an external title. So the person might not be a VP internally, but externally they're a VP in order to make the client think that they're more important than they are. And that's why it is, it is important. Not that you're not important, right? No, 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 no. Trust me. I mean, it's important. I think it's for me though, and maybe I can be better about how I talk about it. It's just understanding that that's an external, you kind of said it, that's an external title. Internally, doesn't mean a damn thing. Doesn't mean a thing to the people there. It might because they recognize that I'm going to go out and talk about what they do, how we do it, how I help them do it. But internally, I'm obviously, I'm plant manager. I'm more proud of that than I am anything else. But I am super proud of the fact that the Samuels and beam have said, Hey, you're our master distiller because they're entrusting me to go be that, you know, that, that not the face of the brand, but at least somebody can go out and talk to people about, you know, what we do. But do I think the title's watered down? Yeah, man. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. It's necessary though, just in the sense of like the stuff we talked about earlier with, well, why do you do this? Always have. Well, got to have a master distiller if we're a distillery or what the hell do we have? What are we doing? Who's running things? I mean, I think that for me, 
we've got 20 master distillers, right? They're the ones working weekends and holidays and they just work Labor Day. So for me, it's, you know, I'm not going to go in and talk to a Greg Greenwell or a Dougie Wade or anybody like that that's been doing those jobs for 20, 30 years, running those pieces of equipment for 20 and 30 years and be like, Hey boys, I'm the master. Here. <laughs> why don't you? Why don't you listen up? You talk about getting an ass whooping. It it happened in about five seconds, and I would deserve every bit of it. So I think it's just kind of recognizing that you know we've got a lot of people that deserve that title, master distiller. Um, you know, you look at Travis Bartley. I mean, Travis is our senior distillery manager. Travis lives this stuff every day, right? He's the one that's you know basically managing the team and checking the distillate uh, on an hourly basis. Has the best innate understanding at this point of yeah. what the still's doing every day. But it, it is an incredible title. It, it is. And it's, and I don't mean, and I don't want to offend, you know, I could tell you the, who I believe are real master distillers. <laughs> Let's we do that. To, that's, we might have to edit that's, some of that's this out. That's the game show after yeah. Zeke's dating. No, that's, that's, that's the, the warm up. We that, really want to see. That's the warm up. <laughs> Pretty it's, much. It's, it's the guys that I'm drinking beer with after the whiskey shows. <laughs> yeah. And no, and, and I, I didn't want to bring it up. I mean, we're not a controversial yeah, no. thing, but I, I do I say find it all the it, time and people get mad because I say it. I find it interesting though, because it's like you need an escalation point. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the factory, like there needs to be a place where everybody can go and there's a hierarchy in the sense of, and you said it best too, where you're like, I'm the plant manager. You come to me for that. I think as marketing drives whiskey and just like you're marketing the bottles and the story behind the bottle and, and everything there, I think it's a fairly new thing as whiskey, the boom happened. It was like, oh, we got to make people celebrities. Yeah. We need to kind of bring that hospitality in. So we're going to do tastings out places and we're going to send people places and you have your brand ambassadors and they're great. I mean, Megan does an amazing job at what he does, but every once in a while he's does that call to the bullpen like hey you know i'm gonna bring in jane and denny and they have awesome titles and they kick ass and everybody at the distillery is like hey we just show up and we make whiskey like that's what we want to do that's yeah. what we're, we're not like looking no, at it other. is i mean I, you know and it's um and you know both of us have kind of come up through this and pretty much worked our tails off you know on the op side but it's i mean yeah it, it is definitely one of those things it is extremely important to have you know point people that intimately know not just about the brand, but you know, what we do and how we do it. Like I, to me, I think that's just really important to be able to talk the talk and walk the walk. And I think, you know, that's where we've been lucky enough working at makers and me at other places where I've always been rooted in operations. Always. You give me a choice of traveling on the road and going to do a tasting in front of 150 people or staying at the distillery and, you know, talking about what our raises might be next year. I can tell you what I'm going to pick 10 out of 10 times. Um, (laughs) But it's, it's also, I understand, you know, that it is, I mean, it is important because it's, people are genuinely interested and we have people that are out there that we have to be able to, um, for them to trust who's delivering the message. And the title does do that. Don't you think though, the title, I think distiller throws people off because I think growing up in the industry at Makers, as you pointed out, I've only ever worked at Makers. He's telling you to have a rum springer. Like, I'm just, I mean, it's... Go you know, do something else. It's the w- easy Don't way Don't be to, interesting. Go um, do something it's else. It's the easy way back. to say you're one-dimensional. That's okay. <laughs> oh. Pot kettle, my friend. Um, oh, please. So... No, but I think growing up at Makers, our distillers were always 
distillers in the sense of they had always done a tour of duty through the distillery and they were liquid decision makers. I think most distillers maybe don't make the whiskey, but they have input into the liquid at the end of the day is how I think of distillers. But we're weird as a brand that we don't, we do have a hardworking ambassador team, but we don't have everybody who does this kind of work has a full-time day job and we split the work. We This is the first podcast we've ever done together because yeah. we always divide and conquer. Yeah. There's never... It's not... It's always at night. It's, you know, we... It's, there's never two the of us at the same... And, yeah. I mean, right before the pandemic, you and Rob and Bill and I did that event together oh, yeah. and it was the first time... The four, we're the heritage team. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that. Uh, <laughs> but it was the first time we'd ever traveled together, yeah. ever. We had never we traveled. We joked about all being on the same flight. But. <laughs> and <laughs> Bill was so mad because we kept letting Rob order the Ubers and he didn't know how. And we'd have to walk because in New York, you have to put the actual address, not drop a pin. And so we would be walking like six blocks. Bill's like, who the hell let Rob be in charge of this? He'd be like, Janie, order that Uber. Jane, Jane, why Wait, are you letting Rob Don't let in Rob charge? order the Uber. <laughs> Didn't there have to be a designated survivor, though? How can the four of you all travel together? Now, traveling <laughs> back, Bill and I traveled together. I was with Rob. It was a great, that was a, that was a good trip. That's right. That was the first time. And Bill, and, and last and Bill time told today. us why he got a lifetime ban for Bourbon Fest. Oh, my God. Do not. We can't tell that story. Do not tell that story. We can't tell we'll, that story. When you turn we'll, the microphone We'll wait off. until we're... <laughs> oh, Jesus. Kind of along along the same lines, but, you know, you talk about two makers being, you know, very approachable, being some folks, you know, first whiskey or gateway into it. How much with the boom and other things like John mentioned, have you seen just whiskey start to become more of a lifestyle brand and how much are you seeing that possibly, I guess, not change things for you, but obviously the brand has to consider other things and look at other aspects as far as the whole picture to the puzzle. You know, I think it's, it. we talk about this a lot. You talk about lifestyle brand, right? And I think it's every brand has an ethos. The McAllen is, a, is probably the number one lifestyle brand. When I think of whiskey and you think about whiskey that has transcended spirits, right? It's not even about being a whiskey anymore with them. And, and I think that was a really concentrated effort on their part. And I think we keep waiting to for the bubble to burst. Like, And I think I'm at a point where I don't think it's going to. And I think people are going to drink different things for different reasons. And you choose brands because they say something about you as a person. Whether it's the watch you wear, that hideous t-shirt you've got on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's got a great message on it. It is. It's a great t-shirt. I love it. What's it say on the sleeve? <laughs> you don't even know, do Hypnotic. you? Hypnotic. <laughs> John. John. <laughs> he just spilled the 125. I did not. It was an empty glass, but the hypnotic got me, you know, gave me a flashback for a second. It? Jane always gives me credit for being the master distiller for him. People will believe me. I was me. not. That brand, we. It, oh my god. Zeke, this should be your new pickup line. Um, 
Better write this down. Hold on. I invented hypnotic and I'm the master distiller. And the I tell I tell people this all the time and they're like fascinated by Denny. They believe it. And, but why would that be impressive? I don't know why that works. Wait, can you do something for me? Yeah. You've seen the movie Zoolander, right? I haven't actually. Wait, you haven't? I don't what? think I have. Blue I grew, Steel? I grew up Man. very sheltered. Okay, so you need to watch Zoolander because there's a thing in Zoolander where Will Ferrell's character says, I invented the piano key necktie. I invented it. And you could you could take Denny's face and make it look like Mugatu. Should we do that? And you could have it say, I invented hypnotic. <laughs> I'm going to show you a picture right now of Mugatu. <laughs> Okay, so I've seen that picture, but I've not seen the movie. So if you did this with Denny, like I think you could do something maybe to boost morale and give it out to morale, James. No, give it out to the distilling team. (laughs) I do dress up for Halloween, so there is. Oh my gosh, he was Prince the year before last. Yeah, it was good. That was a good costume. Um, I nailed that one. All right, so Denny was saying something. We got very sidetracked, and we got sidetracked because Mr. Megan poured some more stuff on the table. Who wants to tell me what we got here? These are your babies, Jane. <laughs> One, I will say, I mean, it kind of tag teams off of what we were talking about um, with the title Master Distiller. I think one of the titles that we're just now starting to warm up to that was taboo 10 or 15 years ago was Master Blender. You know, on the bourbon side, it wasn't something that we talked to. As a matter of fact, if people said blended instead of mingled when you dump 100 barrels or together married. for mud. Yeah, I mean, it's a, whoa, 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 we don't blend. We don't blend here. But I think, you know, especially with a lot of the things that we've done on the innovation side that, you know, Master Blender is an extremely legit title and you don't have that title, but you are our master blender. I mean, there's no I, doubt You've started it. a petition of one. <laughs> well, I mean, in some circles, I could see that almost having more prestige to a degree. In no, I mean, does, for well, sure. I mean, Zeke, let's not. I mean, let's <laughs> absolutely. I, 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 I didn't want to say a whole lot. No, it really does. I mean, I do think in the last five or 10 years, especially, you know, as you've gotten into wood finishing and, you know, some of the other things that um, people are doing, not just us, that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and that's. Obviously, in this wood finishing series, we've definitely dabbled in that quite a bit, but there's a lot of blending that goes on on the back end, even if it's just classic makers. So Beth Buckner, who is our innovation manager, so the three of us kind of make up the innovation team. Jenny comes over. I see you about every day. Um, It's kind of fun. It is fun. And yeah, she and I are currently working on, you know, warehouse sizes have changed through the years. And again, Quality has been all about defense. So we've actually been doing a two-year-long project where we're building new maturation scales of every all 49 warehouses and looking at different floor rotations versus non-rotated versus inside out and kind of trying to understand and working closely with quality team and Denny on, you know, stuff like that where it's not really innovation, but I think at the end of the day, she and I do probably the most tasting. No, I mean, you do the most tasting, but you also, as you've said, we've always played defense and the fact that you all have been able to play offense. I mean, who would have ever thought we'd be working with people that are experts in computational fluid dynamics? Exactly. Right. I mean, so, but these are the things that we're doing now to really understand the impacts of warehouses and the size of the warehouse, the location of the warehouse, the elevation of the warehouse. But it completely makes sense, especially looking at, all right, where we hope and plan to grow as a brand. Yeah. We're built on one thing, delivering this profile. If we don't know 
how to get it and or have the people that can always put us where we want to be, what the hell do we have left? Right. You're right. Wait till she starts making you build warehouses that are like two floors, three floors, five, you know, instead I, of seven listen, floors. Make me, I mean, if we can, you know, if we prove that that's what we need to be doing, then absolutely. I mean, it, you know, obviously, again, it's, you know, it's a no brainer. It's having to convince more people, but data doesn't lie. I mean, so when you do these things and you have the analytics to back up what we're saying and what we're trying to do, it is hard to argue against that. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, people within our company, they listen. I mean, they, you know, they're all about, they're not closed minded. They're like, well, you got to show me, like, how can you prove that we need to build smaller warehouses or we should do this or do that? And then, you know, to have Jane and Beth, they can work with our quality team as well to go out and pull the analytics on all this stuff. Because I mean, it, you know, there is still a lot of stuff that we do that people don't fully understand. Barrel maturation is one of them. Angel share, right? I mean, all these things, but when they can pull that together and then we have the analytics behind it and you have people within, you know, our own corporate R and D that have PhDs in chemistry and they're like, wow, you guys did this. This is phenomenal. This data is legit. Yeah, that's absolutely, you know, what we're trying to do is just making sure we don't make because the decisions we make today, we may not know for six years. Yeah. Because we're, you know, a six year old product. So we gotta make sure the things that we're putting in that barrel today and where that barrel's going is spot on and consistent when it comes to a quality perspective over six years. And I think, Zeke, to your point, I think what happens, and I don't think anyone sets out to change things, but it's death by a thousand paper cuts a lot of times where you make a small change and it doesn't seem like a big change here. And then you make, and then when you get here and you go back to the original, you're like, there's not. So we are, it's interesting. We're very slow at everything we do at Makers, even though I think people would be shocked to Denny's point at the things we try and the things we do and and the things that are going to start coming from us. I think people will be really surprised, but we are not, I would say 98% ends up on the editing floor. Like it's a very, we are very slow. And that's one thing I wish was talked about more in whiskey is everybody talks about the success they have, (laughs) but nobody comes out and and I know it's like, a negative thing and nobody wants to be negative, but it's also letting people know that when you come up with a wood finishing series or you come up with this change, here's all the shit that didn't work. So like have faith and trust the stuff that we did that was good Mm -hmm. because we tried a lot of other stuff. And it's almost like, you know, when you go on a barrel pick and a group's like, Hey, we don't want, we don't want that barrel. Like we, we haven't found anything here out of this group of barrels that we want to put our name on. And it's not anything that is a a disrespect to the distillery. It's just, Hey, there's something that's not unique. I almost trust those type of stores rather than a store that's going to be like, Hey, just give me everything. Right. Like there's some integrity there. And the same thing with, with all the stuff that you guys are trying. It's like, you could show me that you failed and then I'm, I'm going to trust what you put out even more. Well, being slow is just, I mean, nature of the business. I mean, everyone knows it's going to take time for bourbon to be where you want to be. And I mean, if you wanted something you could whip up in a night, you'd go make hypnotic. Yeah, he was waiting. I'm sorry I went on that long. You you should have. Let me apologize me. to Max Shapiro right now. I, say, actually, I had nothing to do with it. Not but it is a fun story. They, I don't think you should apologize. We're giving them all this like free advertising. 
<laughs> we had Max on the show. He's a great guy. He's hilarious. Did you have Max Shapiro? We had Max, Max and Kate, a Father's Day episode. That's amazing. Where we had, so she got to talk about what it was like working with her dad. And then he talked about, like, I mean, she has all these stories. It's really funny, like when they were on family vacations and they stopped in random liquor stores yeah. and pulled all the bottles forward. And Yeah, just, Ma- Max is, I mean, yeah, it's an incredible family. It really is. The I, beach can wait. We have merchandising. I mean, I was lucky, you know, especially the last couple of years that I was there, my office was right next to Max's, and Max never closed his door. And Max took every phone call that came through the switchboard. Didn't matter who you were. There was nothing that ever went to voicemail with Max Shapiro. And even when I left to come back to Maker's Mark, he wrote me a handwritten letter that I got probably about a month after I came back. And I mean, just, yeah, I mean, just phenomenal. That's so cool. You got to talk to him because he has got such a great personality. And and that was a get for us because not that many people. No, he. I can't. I mean, <laughs> thinking Max doing a podcast is pretty funny, but the guys, I mean, he's super intelligent and very, very entertaining. And they have this working relationship, though, where they, I mean, you know, you've seen. All the family dynamic is fantastic. I mean, I was lucky to, you know, be a part of that. They were, you know, you'd sit around the boardroom table because I was part of the executive leadership team. And I was one of the few that wasn't part of the family. And you'd be two hours into a meeting. They're like, do you even think they know we're here? You know, because they're just, they're going back and forth. And I mean, and you're like, oh my God, I mean, it gets a little bit uncomfortable, but it, none of it's personal. They're just all very passionate and they all have various different experiences and expertise. And I mean, it was, I mean, it was always just incredibly rewarding to be a part of that and watch that. Cause I mean, that's, you know, a family owned business been around for 85 years. You don't see that much. It's almost like watching you two at the table because they like to go back and forth. And uh, definitely had that feel of we'll finish this discussion over supper tonight. (laughs) When I see your ass at home in an hour, think about what you said in over that hour, though. Well, I do think, I mean, it is something not to harp on our working relationship, but we do not hold back on opinion, but it's. it's rarely personal. On occasion, Jane can say a few things that gets under my skin. But at the <laughs> same time, dirty. you know you're at a good place in a business where you have people that can sit around the table and disagree and disagree passionately. And then you can walk away all feeling good about where you ended up. And it's not personal. And it, it's hard to get there. It really is. Okay. And I, you know, my in my entire business career, it's rare that you do. And it is something that Jane and I have been able to do, I think, especially over the last couple of years, is just vehemently disagree with each other. But then when the we whiskey do make gets a decision, to a better place yeah. because of it, usually. Yeah. It's almost like the few people you probably uh, go with what I say. Yeah, you know, there's only a few folks I would ever talk politics with, just because most are all take it personally, and then shit goes downhill. You don't (laughs) talk to them for a year or two, but the ones that are are great because you can just toe to toe for an hour. Right. All right, man. We're done with this, though. Right? Okay. Cool. Hug. I'm out of here. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I mean, if anybody's storming off, it's usually me. But then (laughs) he does it a lot. He always comes back though. Jane pulls up in the electric vehicle and. Oh, it's not. Come on. You got to get over that. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I'm good. He's like, I wish I could quit you. (laughs) (laughs) As I've said, Stockholm Syndrome. I guess for both of you, because not every day that I get a male master distiller with a female master blender on our podcast. But why do you two think that is the case most of the time? I mean, all these rock star blenders are women and you still have a lot of men in the master distiller role. And I I hate to bring up the whole gender thing, but is it, I mean, I know it's common knowledge that women's palate sense more flavor than men. 
it has been talked about before is but why can't you make a blend as good as jane <laughs> that's an amazing <laughs> well, that, question that i love a that very question. long way to get to ask that he was trying to put you sleep first putting you on your back heels i was hey, holding back listen i mean i think it's i think specifically for us Jane recognized where the gap was. Like for the longest time, the focus has been on distilling. Just put it in the damn barrel. We'll be fine. Get everything right until the barrel and we'll be fine. And, you know, as a distiller and coming up through ops, I mean, that's just kind of what you're trained to do, right? I mean, you come up, you're, you know, you start out, you know, whether you're a relief supervisor and you're working, you know, the holidays, the nights, the weekends, you're just focused on that distillate. And I think what's happened, and I would never speak for you ever, but I think, (laughs) You know, you have people, especially Jane and a lot of women that love whiskey and want to know more and specifically look for those areas where they could go learn more, where other people really didn't know what was going on. And for Jane, it was, well, how can I learn more about maturation? And then went and found out, right? And then went down that path. Whereas for me, it's just always been, all right, operations, the distillate, get it in the barrel. And there's a lot that goes into that as well. Is it as artistic? Maybe not as artistic. Maybe not as, you know, thinking outside the box. Is it necessary? Oh, it's absolutely necessary. But I don't know. I mean, what what's your take on that? I think that's probably right. I also think women have always been in the lab. In, in our industry. I think men were in the distillery and a lot of women were in the lab. And I think when you look at blending and tasting and those roles, those are lab roles. Those are not, no one's blending in the distillery. Yeah. You know, my personal female hero in the industry is Andrea Wilson from Michter's. Like I'm obsessed with her. I'm a total fan girl. And, you know, she's the industry's first master of maturation, but she also does your job. So it's really interesting because She's almost a hybrid of the two of us in a sense, in a lot of what she does. And she is, she's phenomenal. And what she understands about match, you know, and she and I get together and geek out and talk about barrels and warehouses and how things are aging. And it's almost surreal to think we're meeting for coffee to have that conversation. Right. I don't know. I think women have always been there. I think that's an interesting, I mean, because, you know, when I started out in the industry in 1998, I started in as a lab tech in the quality lab at Jim Beam. I was the only male. Yeah. There were eight, there was eight women. It's a lot of women in the lab. And I was the the only male in the lab. The first opening they had in operations, they would, they would always look to the lab because you understood the whole process, right? You understood the data, you understood the science behind it. And when we had that first opening in operations, they came and talked to me. I don't know that they talked to anybody else in the lab. And I'd only been in the lab for about nine months. And so I was only in the lab for nine months when I jumped in, jumped into operations at Beam. Ended up back in the lab at Makers, but I was the only person in the lab. Like I was a quality manager. I had no direct reports. It was the greatest job in the world. But that's an interesting, I hadn't really thought too much about that, but. It's, yeah, I mean, and I think to your point, the lab is almost a support system for the entire operation. It absolutely is. Right, yeah. it's. So. Well, when you have issues, I mean, the first call is. The quality lab, right? They're like hey, the yes. police. <laughs> They're like yeah, the sheriff department. Of oh, yeah. It's just so. like, I mean, the issues with the cast strength last week. I mean, it's, you know, with the label. It's insane. I mean, it's little things like that that will drive This you is a truce. This should tell you a little bit about Maker's Mark because it's so funny. We, we laugh all the time. We're like, we're this global brand. And, you know, the, the labels came in the- On the cast strength. On the cast strength. And it had the proof and the ABV. And they've forgotten to put- like if it was 57.4. It's 55, 55.7. They had forgotten to put the point. So it said 557. So we hand dotted. 
<laughs> we hand we had to go back and hand dot twelve hundred cases. <laughs> yeah. We hand like, dotted twelve hundred cases. Yeah. True story. That's fourteen thousand bottles. We shut down production to, to hand, hand dot. dot. Now was it a red? Pen? It was. We had a red truck. They they came in my office. As a matter of fact, I was Jane and I were in a meeting and three people walked in. They're like, We think we have a problem. <laughs> And they're showing me the bottle. And so, our, you know, our cast drink design, you've seen it. It's in the classic maker's bottle. But we have a very slim, pressure-sensitive label that goes on the bottom that has to have the exact proof. Can't you just tell them it's there, but it's really small? So you That's what my answer was. This is why he runs operations and I don't. I'm like, no one's going to notice. It's fine. He's I'm like, looking we at, cannot put this I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to fly. And then I went and I said, here's what we need to do. I went and grabbed a red Sharpie off my desk right there. And I went, boop. That's what we need to do. Well, we got 1,200 cases already back in shipping. I'm like, well, I guess we're going to hand dot. I'll order cases. pizza. Yeah. It was <laughs> like we did. We had shut the whole line down. Everybody had to hand dot 1,200 cases. Hand dot. It was like, y'all could keep doing your meeting, but you got to be dotting these bottles no, while you do oh, it. Well, not only that, but then we had, you know, the guy in the lab's like, hell, I'll, I'll get out there. I'll hand dot. We'll have an assembly line going. I'm like, I don't know, but we got to hand dot. We cannot, it cannot be 557% alcohol. <laughs> Because, because what will happen is, because it be, it's a TTB issue, and you talk about hey, an organization. A, that's a lot has been getting through the TTB so, lately. Yeah, but, but here's the thing. They don't care that the consumer might think that that's 557% alcohol. They care in the fact that we did not pay taxes no, on 557% alcohol. So we're going to put the dot on there. <laughs> Uh, stuff like that happens. I do know that we're set up for a TTB audit in January. So <laughs> stuff like that happens all the time. It does. I mean, it, it that you know the distilleries are the glamorous part of it. It is, and not that those are easy jobs, but you want you want an exercise in daily firefighting. Work a bottling line. Work the bottling. That's line. why a lot of distilleries don't have them. Yeah. I think 30 minutes ago, we put these down on the table and we said, Jane, do you want to tell us what you were doing? I will just kind of jump ahead. You two have poured the limited release, the wood finishing series for 2021. There is two of them now. Yep. There is the FAE 01 and the FAE 02. Tell us a little bit more about these. Every year, these whiskeys, we literally just talk to ourselves when we dream up these whiskeys. We started this series in 2019, and it's a storytelling series. So every year, um, actually, it's not even every year, we planned out five years of these whiskeys that we had flavor stories we wanted to tell and honor from the distillery. Things we do that impact the taste of Maker's Mark dramatically. So year one was yeast. We still propagate our own yeast strain. Year two was seasoning the wood. Um, so this year is fatty acid esters. And we wanted to kind of pay homage to the fact that things don't change. We still use a 36 inch copper column still with 15 stripping plates, one rectifying section for a heavier, more viscous, oilier distillate. We're not chill filtering at all through the process. So we're leaving all of those fatty acid esters right in the whiskey where we want them to be. So when we started this one, Denny likes mood boards. Not really. Um, but <laughs> What? I'm just kidding. We whiteboard everything. So we whiteboarded kind of what we thought the role of fatty acid esters were in our whiskey to tell these stories. And there were a lot of competing things. And the big things were fruit barrel extractives, but also viscosity. You don't just taste for flavor. You taste for texture and finish. And so we wanted... 
We felt like trying to cram all these things into one whiskey just didn't make sense. So FAEO1 is really about the flavor and FAEO2 is really about the texture. Um, And so there are whiskeys that are totally different, but really go together in the sense of what those processes are providing to the whiskey. Can we just talk about, I think you all are very talented at distilling and blending. We need to work on the marketing. <laughs> we know. <laughs> I mean, the bottle is a beautiful bottle, but I almost would love it if fatty acid esters was on the, like, I think more people would talk about it. Did Nate, we agree. And if, you know, we can Willy Wonka this, if you've come up with a better thing, you can have our distillery. I don't know. Um, Can I get the golden ticket? (laughs) So Yes, please. 46, you know, Margie Samuels name Maker's Mark. She was brilliant. We've all been shit ever since. Um, (laughs) 46 was the name of the stave. So we've just kind of embraced the bad, honestly. So FAE was the name of the stave. I love like the name, but it's like when you have to explain, it's like, Tennessee whiskey when you have to explain that the Tennessee legislature put made a law and that's what made right. it different than you've already lost people. I think for us, this is the stuff where you start peeling back the onions. I agree. The name is terrible. Our goal is to make delicious whiskeys that have a strong point of view. And if you want to figure out why it's called what it's called, those names, we are talking to ourselves. We just wanted to make fun, interesting expressions of Maker's Mark. <laughs> I thought y'all named it after Mamma Faye. <laughs> I mean, that maybe that'll that, maybe somebody that'll in the be, Maker's family did, though. Maybe that'll be the new story. Denny's Aunt Faye. I'm not trying to be a hater because I, I definitely got some shade from Jane on that one. But we agree with you. I love the fact that you do have, I mean, it's tasting notes on the front, but there's a lot of information, and that's something you all do well. Like, there's always good information about what you did. And if you look at the back, I mean, there's a whole bunch of information about actually what goes in to the wood finishing series. I don't want to steal your thunder because you're telling us about it, but all of that stuff is right there. So kudos to that. I'm all about transparency. No, the names are stupid. We know. We, we, <laughs> but it, yeah, I mean, it, but it's always been about naming the stave. Like that, that was a great thing when I was at Makers the first time. You know, I was lucky enough to be a part of the Makers 46 project. And, you know, you talk about, you know, it's basically taken 10, 11 years. And I still don't know that people understand what the 46 Oh, it's means. the worst. He fumbled at the 95 yard line. It's yeah. the worst name ever. <laughs> but it was all about wood finishing. And we didn't know what wood finishing was. We just started going down a path of Bill wanted to create his own version, you know, his own kind of take of the the whiskey that his parents made. and But he didn't want us to bastardize what they did, which really handcuffed us. But it also led us to and the working whole, with independent stave on the different stave profiles. The whole two years of development of 46, he said, we got to keep the marketers out of the room. No one ruins whiskey faster than a marketer. We got to keep. And so we always joke, like, you should have let the marketers in the room a little bit (laughs) sooner. Yeah, it's, it's a terrible thing. I was like, we're calling it what? <laughs> I mean, I totally get it when it's fake, right? Like when they're reaching and it's like, hey, we just made this. If it makes sense, and at least it's something that uh, grabs people's attention. But I almost think the bigger name to call it is the Wood Finishing Series. And that's yeah. probably the better way to look I at it. I think that's how most people recognize it. We do. It. It's 2021. Yeah. Yeah, 2019, 2020, 2021. Now, what's the difference between 01 and 02 besides taste? This is interesting. So my number one job description is I'm not allowed to throw shit against the wall. 
that's actually written in my job description from Rob Samuels. So we, everything starts with a kind of what does winning look like, right? Let's kind of know what we're trying to do before we start doing stuff. But this was actually one coming out of, I guess it was RC6. Uh, the first one, fruit was something we were going after. I mean, you don't get fruit from wood. You get fruits created during fermentation and then you can get it obviously during oxidation. But actual oak is not necessarily going to provide fruit characteristics. So during that project, we talked a lot about about the flavor versus the perception. And we started experimenting with raw oak just for fun and not in an official. So it was the first time we kind of just said, let's try some stuff. These staves are only cooked. Each one's only cooked on one side. So we've left half of it raw. Um, the FAEO one is put through that 46 searing oven. Um, so you're getting a ton of fruit from the raw side and then you're getting all of this heavy wood and tobacco flavors from the cook side. The FAO2, same thing, raw on one, they actually did a double toast. They did a convection cook and then an open fire precision toasting to give it this really creamy characteristic. So, and then I think this one's American and uh, the first one's American and the second one's French. Definitely seems to hit the nail on the head to me. Like there's a noticeable, I wouldn't say bite, but sharpness about the profile, what you get and the different times you pick up things tasting through it uh, versus the second one. Yes, you still taste a lot of similarities, but as far as it being just much more even kilter across the board, would you even know it was like a cash strength product? I don't think so. It's more like that 2020. It's creamier. It's rounder. It's. Yeah, it's and the texture is what I notice more than the flavor. Like I don't even pick out a ton of flavor necessarily. But it'll be one of those fun things too, where especially with cash drink stuff, you know, some folks they need or want the proof just to feel certain components, which aren't smoothness or texture, but a kick. Like ah, oh, cash drink kicked, got to be great, right? Like, well, no. Like, which one tasted better? Like, that might tip my hand a little bit, but <laughs> what's cool is we just bottled this today. So we grabbed the case off the line and brought it here. So we've been tasting it a lot, but this is the first time both of us actually saw I've it. Seen bottle. The We've seen mock up. Obviously, we do mock ups and things like that. But but the fact that that was pulled right off the line is pretty cool. Here's a uh, spoiler alert. It looks like the other one <laughs> with a different label. <laughs> Those creative geniuses of Maker's Mark. Well, he's like, he's <laughs> the like, colors are inverted. This is the first time we've seen the bottle. It kind of looks like the other bottle. John, don't you notice the O2 on there? <laughs> well, I like this one. The O2, the funny thing is like the O2 is kind of a standalone. The O1 makes me think of like sitting on the deck with a cigar. And I know, yes, dummy... And by dummy, I mean myself. It says a fruit forward expression with notes of tobacco and wood. But like it is one of those ones that pairs well when you're sitting on the porch and you're having a cigar. And maybe you're by a fire. Like, And it is funny because it is American oak staves, but it, it screams America to me. Where two is a little softer. It's a little rounder. I don't want to sound like a politician here, but I think it is what are you doing that day? is going to be oh, which yeah. one am I going for. for sure. and, and I feel that way about a lot of whiskeys, but it's like if I'm in the mood to sit by the fire, I want the one. If I'm just kind of sitting around watching TV, like I'm going to grab the two all day. It's funny. We say 
uh, one's a thinker and two's a drinker. Like it's yeah. definitely when we, it was during the snowstorm, we were finalizing the first one. Do you remember you lived at my house for like three days? I didn't live at your house. We just started drinking. The next thing you know, it was three days later. Uh, and then a sheet came out on the couch yeah. with some pillows. Yeah. No, it was, we did have a hell of a snowstorm that for that, that first night. It was just one night. Was it? We were. I'm pretty sure I rode my bike home. No, you did it. The you motorized did. one? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Fat tires on that oh, thing. Okay. I think go anywhere. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but do you remember we were just yeah. finalizing this and we were drinking the shit out of that. Yeah. And all of us said, we need a snack or something. Like, it's such a big bourbon. You need something with it. And you busted out a charcuterie. No. Every I time d- I, I did, over, but I made those, we made those toasted walnuts. Oh, that's right. Did Alex make that? He did. He made like an orange oil sugar. We're so good. Didn't he end up having to make a bunch of them? I did. I was like, this pairs well. We should make these. We were like a, a candied walnut factory for a while. He wasn't real happy because didn't you make those and send them out? I, yes. A bottle that does look a little different, at least I'll throw out while I'm thinking about it too. The 101 that y'all put out this past year. Now that's one as far as like something you could. In the carton. Yeah, just drink and have a oh, an easy such day. With. A good whiskey. So is is that going to become more of a a regular offering, or still just yeah. be LTO? I mean, no, it'll be you know mainly it's designed for holidays. It was something the family gifted traditionally. That was a proof that Bill Senior liked, and they gifted. So, but we're making more of it. Yeah, we're definitely making like more. It. It's not going to be. It's not going to be that hard to find. I mean, I think, is it going to be something that you're going to walk in and see all the time? No. If it's something you're purposely looking for, I don't think it's going to be that hard to find. Do we bottle it every day? No. A couple times a year? Yeah. The, the thing that's hard for us, you got to remember, we make one whiskey. So if you make more of this, that means you're making less of something else because everything comes from the same cookie jar for us, right? <laughs> well, and that's, we've seen other brands, and yeah. I'm not going to name names, but maybe had a very good weeded product that split out a bunch of other skews on that and it's you see what happens because the age statement of the staple products went down and down and it's like are you diluting the overall brand by doing that or you know it's great to have ltos but it's also great to have makers yep and that's what puts our kids through college (laughs) yeah and and it is you know classic makers is we could make a million more cases available tomorrow, we could probably sell them. But we also understand that these other projects are also what help support that classic makers and grow that makers and, you know, so that we can sell additional classic because without these other releases, it's just being very strategic about what you do. And I mean, there's probably more to be said about what we don't do versus what we do. Like we probably spend a lot of time, you know, just focused on, like Jane said, we don't just throw shit against the wall and we don't just go out and make a peanut whiskey. Because peanut whiskey is, you know, was hot two years ago because of screwball, right? Peanut skin. Peanut skin. But that's a peanut butter. (laughs) Can we do, is this a sweaty balls? (laughs) (laughs) Funny you should say all that, though, because we talk to new brands, like brands that are coming out. We're not consultants. Our services could be available maybe one day, but like, I know how you feel about them. But I'll tell people... I tell people all the time, until your brand is in 50 states, a cast strength and a lower proof, and you have your two main SKUs, and until they're everywhere, stop doing other shit. 
Because you're going to have people that want your staples and they can't get your staples. Doing too much can be a detriment just because somebody did a toasted or somebody did honey or somebody did whatever. You don't have to go run and do that because you're going to take focus away from your bread and butter. Right. Yeah, no, you're spot on. I mean, and it's, and listen, there are a lot of good ideas out there. I mean, it just, you know, we've got a great sales team. And as I said, I mean, they, they probably could sell another million cases this year, but it's a lot of times we're fighting the vaccine. Hey guys, we don't have the barrels and inventory, right? Like we can't drop our age, you know, down to four years old. We can't drop our proof. Oh wait, wow. (laughs) I was not here during that. (laughs) That was Denny's decision before he left. It was not my decision. (laughs) As long as the 101's at least going to resurface somewhat regularly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be surprised, but it will definitely be an annual thing. That is a, honestly, that is a distillery favorite. Yeah. Like everybody, like oh, our maintenance department loves one. Yeah, <laughs> our distillery. Yeah. I mean, if you were to pull everybody that works at Makers, that's what their, their favorite. favorite. It's their favorite. It'd be 101. I mean, it, 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 it even caught me off guard. Like, whoa, I did not expect like yeah. this. Obviously have Makers have an idea of what I'm going to be tasting. But I was like, ooh. Do you guys have a favorite of these two? I do, but I'm afraid because like these are your children. I don't want to. I, no, my favorite release is 2020. So, I mean, I, I love these. I don't get emotionally attached to whiskey, believe it or not. You don't get emotionally attached. To anything? Yes, the end. You said it. Okay, end of podcast. <laughs> I think I kind of, I mean, I love, you know what, Zeke, you go first. We're going to be opposite. I already see it coming. You're a spicy bastard. I'm not. I mean, you're right. Monday through Friday, I'm a two. And then weekend comes, I'm a one. That's kind of where, you know, during the week, I just want something that I'm not thinking about. And it's a drinker. And that's going to be the two for me. And then, but like when I really want to sit down and enjoy a pour and get into it, I probably favor the one. I definitely give style points to anything that's cash strength and that easy and enjoyable. Just knowing how many products aren't, how many things do need water or ice or whatever else to, to be just sit back and enjoy. I'm O2 without a doubt. But again, as soon as he started stammering, I, I saw it coming. <laughs> I know you're O2. It's more like 2020. Yeah, definitely. It's the application for me. I mean, Zeke and I have talked about how lately we've, moved away we like crushers what we call them just like something you can sit and drink it's almost kind of affected the podcast because we're just like yeah this is good um well it's the same thing she said earlier a drinker versus a thinker uh, there's a lot going on most days i i don't need to think any more than i have to at times we know between we'll the take two care of that us. for you when we get this dating thing figured out well, we know between the two of us which one has to think more and which one just kind of goes through life. Like, doo, doo, doo. don't be jealous. I'm taller than you. <laughs> By an inch. I really do like them both, though. I, I do like the spiciness of one just because it gives it that little extra kick. Because I think what's amazing is it it's a thinker and it's a little spicier, but it still is soft for a cast strength product. And it's exactly your point it's like how can you bring in the complexity and still not make it burn the shit out of your mouth there's something to be said about that i mean i wouldn't say burn the shit out of for either product but no but that's the thing is they doesn't <laughs> neither one burns the shit out of your mouth yeah but people don't hear certain words sometimes you gotta be careful what you throw but out i don't there. think any of our whiskeys do that no um and i love it that i love the the maker's cask it's great for that sorry i didn't want to no not no it's the two big rules at Makers are it's not allowed to be bitter. 
and it, you shouldn't have to work to get through it. I mean, that's so it, approachability is actually something. And so even at, to your point, even at cask strength, and it's that low entry proof, it's rotating. So you're getting them out of the hot boxes at the top for the last three years of their life. With these wood finishing, we spend a lot of time uh, thinking about that. And then also we let them vat and tank for about a month to really kind of mellow out and come together as well. So, Well, they're putting out a weeded product that's not bitter is not an easy task, I would say, based on what we've tasted in the past year or three even. I mean, that's the first thing that I'll catch. And I'm just like, oh, it's got it, John. Sorry. <laughs> you know, just kind of look at each other from there on out like, all right, well, what else are we going to focus on here? <laughs> there are certain things that will get Zeke, like high corn content. I mean, there's a certain type of corn. Which one is it for you? Like, it's not sweet corn, but... I mean, I think Benny used to make it probably. That corn's overpowering. It's just a, I don't know, it, the expression of it, whatever grain or however it comes out, like light whiskey, I can get into. Like he said, super sweet. I was going to say, there's mm. been no esterification. So you're getting the grain, but in some light whiskeys where the grain has converted to those beautiful fruit characteristics and you get that sweet fruity, those are great. When it's still grain, I'm with you all day. It's a complete... The whiskey's not integrated. Like something's not happened, right? Yeah. I was thinking about like, you know, people like old school milling corn in the right. stump or whatever. And if you had really good corn, it smelled and you knew right away and everything else, you're just like dry kind of. Well, and think about supply chain though. Think about 10 years ago, how many distilleries, how many now? Yeah. And everybody's fighting for the same grains and the same barrels and the, so. Yeah. I like both of these. I like both of you. <laughs> Well, thank you. Isn't that a great segue? <laughs> we have been talking for two hours and 15 oh, minutes. Christ. I don't know how <laughs> I'm going. This might be a two-parter. This might be a really long. I still think I could probably cut 45 minutes out of if, if, if the drivel, yes. Denny, Jane, thank you both so much. Ryan, Megan, thank you so much for setting this up with us. And we hope that you all come on again. We loved having you. You got to hear Denny's origin story with safety clean. <laughs> for, for fart's sake. Yeah, it was going great at safety clean. Still, I spilled hydrofluoric acid on my balls. <laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. hey, trust me, kids, if you're working in a chemistry lab and you're doing metals digestions, wear your goddamn apron. <laughs> So thank you for letting us try the different entry proofs. Thank you for letting us try the limited release wood finishes. Either one of these are goodbye. And I know you just bottled up the O2 today. We're probably the first people to actually drink it, even though I'll try to get this out this week just because it did just come out. But it's a great pour. No matter which one you like better, you have to admit they both are good. Right, Zeke? To a degree, but Team Zeke's always better than Team John. Let's be honest. And team, let's get a dating show together for Zeke. That's what team I'm on. So send us your application at dadsdrinkybourbon at gmail.com or dadsdrinkybourbon on Instagram. Hit me up. And Jane and Denny are now a part of this. So it's just going to keep growing. You can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Find Maker's Mark on all the places too. Maker's Mark. Thank you. Where else can the folks find us, Zeke? Good old Nashville, Tennessee. And yes, thanks a million. This was a blast. Thank you, guys. This yeah, was this so was much great. fun. 
We love it. Cheers.